Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Raindance Media. Raindance offer a range of digital marketing services, SEO, web design, pay-per-click advertising, Google Ads, and Facebook Ads management. Rank your business on the first page of Google or build your business's online presence with their range of digital marketing services. Raindance are a boutique agency only taking a limited number of clients. Get more traffic, acquire more customers, grow your business. Don't get left behind online www.braindance.net.au Hello everyone and welcome to the Hear the Voice podcast. Recently I listened to a podcast that featured Eddie Jones, the head coach of the English Rugby Union World Cup team. He spoke about the positive influence that two Australians had on his coaching group and his athletes at the most recent World Cup. They were Corinne Reid and Neil Craig. He spoke about Corinne being a bomb detonator and he spoke about Neil being a critical friend. This prompted me in trying to get them onto my podcast, and with a little bit of luck and some success, I managed to do that today. Corinne is a clinical psychologist with a wealth of knowledge and experience in high-performance sport, especially with Olympians and Olympic teams across the past two decades. Neil boasts an extensive CV in AFL football, being an absolute sample legend as a player, and also an ex-AFL coach who currently mentors and is still a consultant to AFL coaches today. Both people give us a great peek behind the curtain and an insight in how Eddie builds his teams in getting ready for a World Cup. It's such an amazing chat. I want to thank them both for their time. Please get a pen and a notepad ready because you are sure to get some amazing gold and insights in how to become a better leader, a better coach, and just a better all-around person. I want to thank them again for their time, and I really hope you enjoy this next episode. So here it is, Corinne Reid and Neil Craig. Thanks for listening. Corinne Reid and Neil Craig, welcome to Hear the Voice, guys. Thank you, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Lovely to be here. Yep. We just had a quick little chat off air, if you will. Um, the current isolation times are pretty dire for a lot of individuals and families in the country, etc. You guys were lucky enough to get your families home to Melbourne. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, we brought our daughter in from Edinburgh just on the, one of the last flights before the borders closed. So feeling pretty lucky. How about you, Neil? Yeah, no, um, similar, uh, Nick, uh, I was, I came back from England and my family sort of had been in Melbourne, but I, I came back from England doing some work over there with the English rugby team. So I got into Melbourne a couple of days before there was um, the self-isolation, but I, I did that anyway. So we've been back in Melbourne since and it's, um, you know, so we've been together as a family and we've, the whole family's fit and healthy. So keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, terrific. And it sounded that way with Kroon as well. So hopefully yeah. that's the case. And we can come out of this uh, sooner rather than later. So, Corinne, how do I introduce you? What is your role? You're currently a Vice-Chancellor slash uh, best psychologist in the world, according to Neil. <laughs> What's the title, mate? 
So my, my day job at the moment is Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research. At the moment, I'm, I'm just stepping into the shoes of our Vice-Chancellor, who is on holiday for a couple of weeks. And, uh, and one of my passions that I've, I've always had on the side, if you like, is working with elite sporting teams. Neil, what about yourself, mate? What are we calling you at the moment? You've been playing uh, some different sporting teams as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I guess uh, professionally, I've been trained sort of in the, in the exercise physiology area, Nick. You know, I sort of went into coat, well, played in uh, SNFL footy, then I sort of um, got involved in the coaching from a professional point of view, full time. Um, and then sort of, I've sort of stayed in that field ever since, you know, um, so not necessarily um, uh, coaching at the moment, hands on, uh, as in coaching a team. So I've probably gone more to working with coaches as a group of coaches and, and working with them. So who coaches the coaches, basically. So that's been uh, an interesting field for me to go into. So, yeah, a variety of things. Absolutely. And actually, actually, he's really a psychologist in disguise. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's Aren't we all? Well, that's something we need to talk about because in the end, uh, if I had my time again in training, Nick, yeah. in professional training, mm-hmm. um, I'd, do, I'd certainly do something in, in Kareen's field in terms of behavioural science, you know, human relationships, because it's, it's, uh, it's just a massive part of coaching. You know, and it's um, uh, in actual fact, we do most of our damage as coaches because we haven't got, I don't think, a good enough skill set in that area. So anyway, that's in hindsight. Um, and that's why people like Corrine now, uh, I think, are becoming, um, in terms of where is elite sport going, you know, so where's the next, where do you get your next edge? Uh, I have no doubt it will be in the area that Corrine works. Yeah, I mean, let's not wait until later to segue in. We can talk about that right now, Neil. Um, there's no uh, one way or another to go into this conversation. I'm sure I'll get a lot out of the topics that we've mentioned uh, through email between the three of us. But why do you feel like that now? Why do I feel like that? Yeah. Uh, because um, yeah, yeah, every time you have a, um, every time you communicate with anyone, I mean, mm-hmm. you're dealing with uh, the way that people think, the way they feel, the way they act. And a lot of it is, is either trying to complement that behaviour or change that behaviour. Yep. Uh, whether it be, you know, coaching a skill, whether it be a, developing a relationship, whether it be um, conflict within, within the playing group or coaching group. So it's, it's all about the way people, um, you know, think in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, when you when you sit on coaches' courses, they they immediately go to you know commonly used term the X's and the O's about you know how you're going to play the game, which is which I'm not saying is not important, Nick, but it's this capacity to work with people um, and to to try and maximise uh, their performance, and it's really you're dealing with human behaviour all the time, all the time, uh, and at the elite level, um, the ultimate is human behaviour under the, the highest pressure that you face. And, um, you know, my recent experience is, is working with the England rugby team in the World Cup final. Um, up until the World Cup final, we were outstanding, um, but we didn't fire a shot in the final. And having, during that time, of course, I was, I was able to spend a bit of time with Corrine because she did some work with the program. And once again, in a very short period of time, um, and, and Eddie, I know Eddie Jones would say the same thing, the impact that Corrine had on our playing group uh, in different areas. Um, was, was significant, and that's in a short period of time. So people like Corrine, I think, are going to be um, sought after uh, more and more, not only the work with the players, but also the work with the coaches. Corrine, that's a perfect segue 
and um, a great insight on what Neil said. I want to ask you, how did it come about to be asked by Eddie Jones to join his staff? And Neil, I'll get your response as well. How does it all happen, Corinne? Take us there, the, the phone call, the, all the logistics around it. What, what took place? Well, I guess what happened was pretty much what happens with uh, most of the teams that I work with, is that they are finding themselves confronting some kind of critical moment, critical tipping point, where they recognise that to go forward requires not just small tweaks, but a step shift to separate them from the next competitor. And so, you know, the first conversation uh, with Eddie and, and with Neil um, very much went along the lines of each of us trying to figure out whether there was a, a, a goodness of fit, if you like, between what they were aspiring to and what it was that I thought I might be able to bring. And those conversations for me are, are very much about seeing uh, whether there is sufficient courage to do what needs to be done. Um, most teams talk about honesty and you know being tough and all of all of these sorts of things but very often uh, that's that's a, a thin layer and when you get underneath it uh, there is vulnerability and cracks that open up under under immense pressure so that early conversation was very much about me trying to get a sense of why were they coming to me? What was the critical tipping point? In this case, it was the, the World Cup coming up and also the legacy from the previous World Cup experience that they had had and uh, trying to think of ways to make sure that this upcoming World Cup experience would be different than the one that they'd had before. So that's a really, it's a common entry point, if you like, but uh, of all of those conversations that I have, uh, there's a small percentage that I decide that I'll go on to work with because just because somebody knows that they need to do something different doesn't really mean that they necessarily uh, are committed to what will be required to go to those difficult places and to have those really difficult conversations. So that first conversation with Eddie and, and with Neil as well was very much about what are you prepared to do? How far are you prepared to go? Um, what if I come in and really unsettle things? What if it's really upsetting to your players? What if, um, you know, I push and prod to the point where it looks like things are unravelling? Is that something that you can bear? Is that something that you would invite into your playing group? Um, and I think from Eddie's point of view, probably as well, wanting to see uh, what on earth somebody who has no background in rugby, in fact, uh, you know, no sporting interest particularly, yeah. um, might be able to, to offer or not for a team at this level uh, under this kind of pressure with this kind of aspiration. And so it's really a kind of process. It's a little dance that, that we do. And I, I always uh, say to coaches and to sporting executive who invite me along for the first conversation, let's only to commit to one conversation. And at the end of it, let's all go away and have a little think about what we've discussed and to see whether there is any point, uh, whether there is a good fit here for, for taking the next step. Yeah, I've experienced that with you myself when uh, cold calling and trying to get you. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were going to have a recording. I was getting ready and I actually thought I missed the boat with Neil, but it was a preliminary discussion. And um, I've actually used that language since because it sounds very professional coming out of my mouth so but it's a great it's something I've actually learned Corinne and it's a great way to not jump in I guess fully to a commitment rather take a step back like people would be very um 
keen to be playing the role that you're playing. But to be able to take a step back and make a conscious decision and ask, do you think we're the right fit and have those preliminary discussions, I find fascinating. Um, yeah, I think it's really... Sorry, I missed you there. So I was just going to say, you know, I think it's really important. You know, if you're going to be talking about honesty and you're going to be pushing people to the edges of, uh, you know, their, their coping, then you want to make sure that the people that you're working with have the same degree of commitment to those kinds of values and to that kind of process. Um, you know, there are lots of other people who could work in different ways with teams. This is not the only way to work. Yeah. Uh, but I guess what I have learned over the 30 years that I've been doing this is that this is the bit that I do best. And so it's good to stick with what you do well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Neil, did you have a similar experience being asked to be involved with Eddie? Uh, yeah, well, I've known Eddie for quite a long time, uh, Nick. Um, sort of my first association with Eddie was around about early 2000s when he was coaching the Wallabies. Uh, my involvement then was more from a sports science perspective. Okay. Uh, but I got to know him and I got to sort of see him in coaching meetings and, and I liked what I saw. Uh, very demanding, um, very demanding coach. But that's okay, the best ones are. Um, and so we sort of kept in contact and I sort of gravitated into coaching and uh, we caught up and he spent some time with myself at the Adelaide Football Club. I was uh, head coach there. And we sort of kept in contact over, over the journey. And then he sort of just, um, when there was uh, a tour here with the England team um, in Australia in 2016, I think we caught up for a couple of hours and we just, we just spoke about coaching in general. Um, so we've always enjoyed each other's conversation in terms of that area. Uh, and then I just got a call out of the blue at one stage with an offer to, um, you know, would I be interested in doing some work with the England rugby team? Um, and a bit similar to Corrine, it's got to be a correct fit because if it not, it ends in tears um, and, it's, and it becomes a complete waste of time for everyone's situation. We don't want that. Not Certainly not the level that uh, we're talking about. And so, you know, it was... It, it was gave me something to think about and sort of you, then you talk about the role and uh, to the best of your ability, you try and, um, you know, you talk about the relationship that Eddie was looking for. And in the end, as Corinne's alluded to, uh, it always gets down to tough conversations. I mean, that's where, that's where you make your biggest progress. Uh, and yet, um, you know, there's a real, as Corinne, as I've seen Corinne work with the England playing group, there's a real, there's a real skill to that. Um, it's not just something you jump into. You, it's, uh, there's a skill factor involved, uh, but unless you're up for them, you, you're going to miss the key the key points that actually affect performance. So, um, once those conversations were had, it was decided to let's go and you know let's do this for the next three years. So it was it's been fantastic for me, unbelievable in terms of an experience and a professional development point of view. It's been uh, I couldn't have wished for anything better. Yeah, I bet it has. Uh, this is a question for you both. It's uh, an interesting one I've been sitting on. What is the process you take when entering this high-performance environment? From the phone call to the preliminary discussions that you spoke about, Corinne, you two, Neil, that you just touched on, um, making sure it's the right fit, as you said. Take us through the process now, getting on the plane, getting over to, I assume, England or the other side of the world. What's the processes that you're both taking in the roles that you've been asked to do? And maybe even touch on the roles that Eddie wanted you to touch on and, and take control of uh, when you get over there. Uh, I don't know. You want me to go first, Corinne, or you? Or? Yeah, yeah, you can kick off now. Okay. Okay. So, 
for me, for me, Nick, I mean, um, obviously there was a discussion with Eddie about, you know, the type of role involved and it was, and until you actually get there, I mean, it tends to evolve when you are there, but initially it was, um, it was probably several factors. One was, um, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie has this real, um, belief and it's, it's also my belief that the quality of coaching is absolutely essential. And so, you know, there's this concept of who coaches the coaches, if you like. Okay. Um, who gives the coaches feedback? Who's there to, uh, you know, to have a conversation with them? Who's there to, uh, to be a, uh, a critical friend and so forth. So part of my role is to work closely with the England coaches in that area. So, you know, to, uh, to help coach the coaches, if you like. So I, I know nothing about rugby. Uh, the only little bit I've got some idea of Nick is about the high, what they call the high ball, which yep. is classical AFL overhead marking. Correct. I, do, I do a little bit of coaching in that area, but in terms of any technical coaching, I don't do any work in that area at all because uh, I'd be out of my depth. Yeah. Um, so it's working with the coaches. Um, it's really interesting the way it's evolved. Um, probably being a critical friend to Eddie, and what I mean by that is. Um, he's looking for, and this is, this is classical of Eddie. Uh, and this is why he's, uh, an elite, uh, is an elite coach is that he's continually looking for feedback himself about himself. Um, and when you sit in the chair of head coach or senior coach, sometimes that's the hardest time to get feedback. So he was looking for someone to, um, to basically just tell him the way it is. Um, and that can involve, um, my observations of his his coaching or dealing with staff members or or players, um, you know, and and providing that feedback to him. Um, it can be just as a listener, just sitting there and listening. It can be sharing the workload of a of a senior coach, if you like, because it's a huge workload. Um, it can be lonely in those spots. So once again, just to have someone around who who is who has an empathy with what the, the job involves as a senior coach, and it's completely different to an assistant coach. So um, I've I've actually think it's been quite a therapeutic aspect for Eddie to have. We we would meet every morning from seven till seven thirty, um, and a whole range of different discussions. Um, and sometimes it was about um, he wasn't happy with my performance. And so that conversation, as, as Corinne's alluded to, that's a, you know, that, that conversation had to be had. Uh, and it would be, so it could be a range of different conversations. So there's a bit of a hands-on coaching element. There's working with the coaches. There's maybe being a critical friend to the head coach. And the other thing which I really enjoy is, is working with the leadership group, um, of which Corinne had some work with those guys as well. I really enjoy that work um, in in working that particular aspect of, of high performance, not only in terms of them developing themselves as leaders individually, but then um, you know their capacity to their to build relationships and lead their teammates. So my role um, has evolved since it's been there, and it's quite varied, but which I really enjoy. Fantastic. So once I got in there, that's the role. Once I got in there, the, the key thing was probably two things, Nick. One is to build the relationships. Yep. Because once again, one thing that we're, um, I picked up really strongly from Corrine, the, the better the relationships, the easier it is for accountability, and mm -hmm. as, as interesting as it sounds. So just to, to build the relationships with the players, um, to build the relationship with Eddie, to build the relationship with other coaches, 
to build the relationship with other staff members. And the other thing was to learn the language. So it's no good me taking AFL jargon into an English environment. Like, so I've got to pick up on the language of, of what they use so that I can speak their language. Because if I, you know, if I don't, uh, we, you lose all this communication because no one understands what you're talking about. So that was, I spent most of my time in those two areas. Corinne, what was your primary, primary role in going into the, uh, the environment that was the English rugby team? Again, with, with all of the teams that I work with, um, really as a, as a team consultant, the primary aim is to start with, I guess, the, the core staffing group and in, in the head coach in, in most cases, it's really important to develop a strong sense of allyship there, that they feel as though you'll be a, a trusted uh, and honest voice that uh, can provide some feedback to them about what you see, about opportunities that you see, about which aspects of their style uh, are helpful in unlocking the potential of uh, their, their individual players. And again, you know, as a, as a clinical psychologist, uh, my, my primary focus is very much about being able to understand the, the drives, the motivations of each individual person, and they will be different. They'll be different according to um, the background that you bring with you, your age, how long you've been in the game, uh, how confident you are about your place in the team. Uh, it's, it's also about working with coaching staff to understand or to profile them, to look at their style about the way that they cope under pressure. So we do a lot of work around stress signatures. What happens to you? Uh, most of us who are um, you know, reasonably well-functioning, high-performance athletes do incredibly well most of the time, uh, as we've all seen in various um, different sporting fields, you put people under an enormously high-pressure situation and even the best athlete can fall to bits. The, a team full of amazing individuals can start operating as individuals rather than as a collective. So the impact of pressure, those sorts of stress signatures, is a key part of the mapping work that I do at the beginning, is to watch. Uh, and again, you know, I don't need to understand the game. Um, I guess I'm, my focus is very much when I watch a field of play is to look at the confluence in activity and action and the choices that people make, how they relate to one another, what they do when there is a disappointing decision on the field, what they do when they're sitting on the, um, on the side waiting to go on, what they do afterwards in the change rooms, how they uh, support one another or don't. Um, the, the tell signs that they give away about how they're coping. Uh, so that kind of mapping work goes on at the beginning in close uh, relationship with the head coach and the, the head support staff. Um, and I guess there is an opportunity then from the individual player level through to the leadership group level, through to the um, sport at the sports science staff level and through to the executive level to say, the best shot that this team will have is if that entire ecosystem is in sync. And that's really rare to find that. And it's even more rare to have people understand what it takes to keep that as a healthy ecosystem. That takes a lot of work and attention to those relationships that Neil was talking about. So a lot of my work um, is observing that, is noticing where the good points of contact are or the points of potential that aren't yet fully developed. Um, and then using those observations and that kind of mapping process to be in 
blunt, um, you know, critical conversations with individuals and with the team to say, well, from what I see, here are your points of vulnerability. When this group uh, is under pressure, this is what happens to it. And using that as a kind of springboard for conversations. And those conversations can go in lots of different directions. Uh, in the case of rugby, it was fantastic to have somebody like Neil involved because he could be my strong support in uh, conveying some of these ideas and observations to the playing group. So Neil has a, a much closer, longer standing relationship with the playing group as well as with the coaching staff. And he could both help me interpret what I was seeing and at the same time translate those ideas about how to have critical conversations. What does a critical conversation look like? How far should you push somebody? What if someone gets upset in those conversations? What if somebody um, you know, is uh, very unsettled by those discussions? Should we push through it? So having uh, somebody like Neil by your side to help in that work can really add strength to the speed at which you can transform the inner workings, the, the relational workings of, of a sporting team. So, I think this might Nick, can I just make a comment there? Absolutely. Clear, for the people who listen to this, um, you probably start to get a bit of a feel for uh, if, you, if you're at the, at, the, at, the, at the level of sport that Corrine and I talk about and you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's the highest you can get in terms of rugby playing, you're trying to win the World Cup, if you like. <laughs> Um, if you're not prepared to be uncomfortable, and I remember a quote from Corrine saying, um, you know, your capacity to win the World Cup will really depend on how uncomfortable you're prepared to be to do it. Because uh, when I reflect on every environment that I've been in, in the high performance area, uh, at the end of the day, it gets back to being able to be, you know, to, to, to embrace this, this capacity, you will be uncomfortable at certain times, whether it be a conversation, whether it be the pressure of the game, whether it be an error, whether it be conflict with a staff member or a player, it, it happens all the time. And to, to be the absolute best and, uh, you know, be a serial winner, if you like, in terms of the scoreboard, you're going to have to go down. I have no doubt you will have to go down this path of what Corrine's talking about. There, there, I haven't seen an environment where it doesn't exist. Yeah, but most of the environments pretend it doesn't, it's not there or won't go to address it uh, because it is uncomfortable. So that's why it's important that people understand that high performance sports, not for everyone yeah. because of the environment yeah. that it uh, creates. And I think it's true for both the staff and for the players. Uh, I think you'd probably agree with that, Neil, is that yeah. uh, it isn't for everybody. It, it requires that people, um, commit themselves to something for a prolonged period of time, knowing that every sense of confidence that they have will be challenged, that there will be some days where they simply cannot find an answer to the questions that they're asking of themselves. Uh, there will be days where, um, you know, uh, history will be your very close companion and it will be very hard to escape your history where you have doubts that have come with you from the past that are really hard to get on top of. Um, so it really, it's an unraveling experience. It, it goes to your deepest uh, concerns and anxieties and people have to be prepared to both recognise that, sit with that, uh, get used to being that kind of uncomfortable and also to, to being in circumstances where there is no roadmap. 
if you're at the edge of being the best in the world, then by definition, you are going to be carving out territory that nobody has trodden before. So you're going to be very much off grid and you're going to have to learn to get comfortable, be willing to get comfortable with that idea that there is no one to point you the way. There is nobody to tell you what is going to work. You are going to have to dig really, really deep uh, and take some significant risks to lay down a path for yourself in a place where nobody has trodden before. I think this is going to segue into a, a really interesting piece. And I think uh, relative storytelling has become such a big part in coaching these days. And I think you guys are teetering on the edge of giving some really great insights into some stories in the, the World Cup environment. And I want to also put in with the reflection piece uh, and some language that's been used. So uh, critical friends being mentioned by Neil and Corinne. I'll give a little bit more context around that, Neil. Eddie mentions that in his book about you being a critical friend, basically someone that can just tell him to pull his head in when it needs to be. Um, and I think you experienced this as well, Corinne, with your time with Rick Charlesworth. Um, and you used some language in his recent book about being the translator as well in uh, in his coaching groups and teams. I'd love for you guys to give us some insights and reflection on the learnings that you've had in the past that you were able to bring to the table with Eddie um, to obviously try and get the success that he was after. Well, certainly um, my relationship with Richard was very much one of critical friend and uh, of, of being the person who was both able and willing to uh, stand side by side with somebody who has very passionate views on many things yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and to be able to say to him, you know, I don't agree with you on that or that doesn't make sense to me that you would interpret it in that way. And so that the strength of that relationship is key um, and having a coach who is willing to invite you into that space. I think Neil talked about that before, you know, that the coach has to be the one to invite you in. You can't, force yourself into that role. You have to be working with a coach who is already by definition quite exceptional. They've become the coach of one of the best teams in the world. Um, so they, you know, they're within their, their rights, if you like, to think that they've got some pretty good answers to things. And yet, I think what for me marks out the most remarkable coaches is that they understand that it's continuous improvement, that even though they're great, um, if they keep doing what they're doing for another few years, it won't be as great, you know, that there is a developmental process that goes on in any team where people have to keep changing and adapting and thinking of something new, responding again, pushing that boundary, going off grid. What was once off grid becomes business normal for teams after a while. And so coaches also have to have that mindset that where they want to keep pressing those boundaries and to invite somebody into that relationship who can say, I know that you've been doing it this way for a long time, but when I watch it, you know, it looks tired or it doesn't seem to be achieving what you're wanting to achieve anymore. So uh, one of the early conversations I remember having with Richard was uh, having, having watched him um, in uh, a number of meetings with his playing group and he's very passionate. He speaks a lot. He's got a lot to say. Um, when he speaks, people listen because, you know, he's, you know, he's right, right there, right in your face and, you know, very, uh, very passionate about it. Um, and after watching that and recognising that, in fact, what happened when he did that was the opposite of his intention. His intention was that he would be sharing his passion with people and that they would engage in this conversation with him and it would be very motivating. And one of the things that I noticed was it actually closed people down. They're a bit terrified of it. 
Like they were a bit in awe you know, that, right. that if he said something, it must be right. Or, you know, how can I possibly say something that disagrees with that? And so you would just notice the room go quiet. And so in that critical friend role, I was able to say to him, Richard, you know, when you're in the room, you close down the space. You don't mean to, but everybody's in awe of you. And so it's tough for them to step up and, you know, and be part of that conversation. So we came to an agreement that he would um, still have an opportunity to have his say, but he would say it right at the end of the meeting. And that one simple piece of feedback, I think he would say, was pretty transformative for him um, in being able to create a space where his players would then step up and mature and find a voice and, you know, develop their own critical thinking about their own play and the play of the team. And he would hold his peace until the very end to make sure that he didn't close that conversation down. So being that critical friend, having that translational role where you say, you know, what your intention is, is not what I see happening. Okay. Um, yeah. Neil, what's your experience around this piece? Oh, it was, it's really, just listening to Corinne talk then, I mean, it took me back to a, a coaching meeting that I sat in um, fairly early in the piece, Nick, with Eddie and the other English coaches. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, Eddie, Eddie is, uh, uh, in, you know, he's, a, he's restless all the time because of this continual improvement and how can we do things better and keep things fresh and new ideas. Um, you know, it's a real strength in one area. Um, and he's into it big time. Like, he, he's, uh, he lives that life. Um, you only got to be in the program to see the number of different people that come through the program, whereas yeah. a lot of coaches, you know, they they treat it as smoke and mir uh, you know, mirrors and you can't come into our program whereas he invites anyone in because he's, he's looking for, you know, new ways and, and a better way of doing things and thinking, but he can also be, you know, he's, uh, he's urgent and uh, he wants attention to detail and he wants it done yesterday. Uh, and that obviously came across in the coaching meeting. And once again, you know, silence is an interesting, is an interesting thing to look for because once there's silence, that means people are pulling back and, and are not feeling that safe. And I remember him saying to me at the end of the meeting, he said, uh, we, we was just sitting there at the end, just reflecting on the meeting. He said, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting much out of the, the assisted coaches. Um, and I basically said, oh, well, you know, no shit. <laughs> I, I said, <laughs> if, I was, if I was an assisted Critical coach, friend. <laughs> yeah, well, and, that's, and sometimes you just got to cut to the chase. And that's the yeah. relationship that you need, Nick, because yeah, you can't, right. like, you just got to address it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was and it was and it was more Eddie being the problem than the coaches. Yeah. Um, just with his manner and his tone of voice and his aggression and, and so forth. And to, but to his credit, um, you know, if I now reflect on three years ago to to the way he operates now in the coaching meeting, now it's more about what Corinne's and he'll probably maybe speak last. Yeah. He'll listen. Uh, and he'll provide more questions to coaches. He'll you know, like tell me more about why you think that way. Um, so. Once again, here you've got an already an elite coach in the world that because of his curiosity and a want to get better and better and, 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 and role model that behavior, uh, he has allowed this, this cowboy from AFL to come into his environment with a role just to tell him the way it is. Now, in the end, I guess Eddie's got to back my judgment in the assessment of that meeting, for example. Um, but that's because if he doesn't get told that, um, well, that behavior continues. And that, that behaviour is not conducive to uh, an elite winning environment, 
where you're not going to get what you're after. So that's why, that's why what Corrine's talking about is so important, um, you know, to, to have that trust so you can actually have those conversations because it's about feedback, which is about getting better no matter who you are. I think it's also the case, um, I don't know if you've found this, Neil, but for me, you know, one of the gifts of not uh, being a sports person myself and not being a particular sporting fan is that it gives you a clarity an opportunity for clarity that is sometimes difficult for people to have when they're close, closely involved with that particular sport or that particular game or team. That um, what I noticed when you were working with uh, rugby, for example, is the fact that you're from AFL, I, I thought was an advantage, mm. you know, that you, you didn't, you weren't cluttered in your thinking by necessarily a passion for rugby. You were really clear around the way that the team was working. You were much more focused on that, uh, and again, I think for, for me and the teams that I work with, that's an amazing gift that I can offer to coaches and to players is I'm, I'm not that, con well, I'm not concerned at all about their technique or how fit they are or, um, you know, what tactics they're using, um, those kinds of issues. I can leave that absolutely clearly uh, for the coaches, which is also why I think I'm no threat to the coaches. <laughs> I, I don't have anything to say about their core business. You know, that's, yes. that's entirely their deal. What I can bring is something else, which is that capacity to stand right outside of that and to notice, look, this player uh, looks down to me or, you know, this uh, coach, the way that this coach interacts with this player doesn't bring out the best in either of them. Or when I see the team having a, a post-game review, I see lots of backslapping, but really not much critical reflection on what they've done. You know, I can focus in on those kinds of things rather than being caught up in the, in the game yeah. itself. Yeah, and Eddie's made that comment, Corrine uh, and Nick, to myself as well, is that the fact that I, I know nothing about rugby even though I've become a part of a joke at times. <laughs> um, he sees that as a strength of the program. Um, uh, because you don't, you don't, yeah, because you, you have, you, you're looking, looking through it with different lens, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but I do think it's important that uh, you mentioned there that um, like Eddie doesn't feel threatened by me. I, mean, I don't want his coaching job. No. <laughs> And that's really important in the role that I play. And, it's, and that's a trust factor as well. But um, I don't want his coaching job. I'm, I'm not there to, to uh, you know, when I make a, a, a criticism or have a tough conversation with him, it's not because I've, I've got an ulterior motive here. Mm -hmm. um, so I think he appreciates that as well. And, in, and probably at the stage of my life, Nick, um, and it's, as a consultant, really, like Corinne, I mean, I don't need the job. Yeah. Okay, I don't have to do the job. Like, I mean, I can do something else with my life. Yeah. Um, and just as Corrine said, you know, and I remember her first meeting we had with, with uh, Eddie and myself and Corrine, she made the point really clear that if you're not up for it, uh, don't say yes, but you mean no, because she's, I think she might have used I can smell bullshit pretty well. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I don't need to do this job. I don't have to do it. So really what she's saying is, are we serious about, are we serious about what we're going to do here? Or... Do we just part our ways and and uh, and move on? And that's sort of how I feel with the, the the role I've got with England. I mean, I enjoy it; it's great professional development. Um, but I don't have to do it, and you know, it's it's a trust factor there as well. 
Yeah, I think, I think it says something. It brings a different lens when essentially what you're saying is I am here in your service. If you say to me, I want to be the best in the world and that that's my goal, um, then I can help you with that. If the way that you're looking at me is somebody who's making you do something, I'm the wrong person for you. You know, I'm not here to beat you with a stick. I'm not here to make you do anything. I'm here to tell you that if you want to be the best in the world at what you do and the best possible version of yourself that you can be, then I can help you with that. And I can keep giving you critical feedback about what I see you doing that is helping you get there and what I see you doing that is an obstacle to you getting there. But it's a choice, you know, that uh, I'm here for as long as you find this helpful. And when you stop finding it helpful, I'm very happy to step away and leave you to your own devices. And I think that's very freeing for players as well, is you're not a coach, you don't have anything, you know, you have no say in their selection, uh, you're not involved in uh, writing up their training plans or uh, any of that stuff. It's simply saying, if you are genuine in saying you want to be the best in the world, or you want to be at the Olympic Games and, you know, be in the gold medal winning final, I can help you with that. That's wholly and solely what I'm here to do. That's it. So Nick, if once again, listening to Corinne there, there are very few coaches in the world that I know of, yes. senior coaches, yep. who are open to that environment. I was going to segue into the now, this, vulnerability yeah, and humility. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what that means is that particularly, I mean, young, I haven't seen a young coach yet that is open to that environment. Now, it doesn't mean I've seen every young coach in the world, so I'm not saying they don't exist, but over yeah. my journey, um, the coaches who are open to it tend to be the ones like Eddie Jones who are very secure in their own skin, yeah. um, but are prepared to really role model this fact of continuous improvement, wanting to be the best in the world. And mm -hmm. so they, they have this sense of obligation. Well, if I'm going to push that to my players and expect that of the players and staff, I need to role model. So it's um, when you find them, they're, they're an absolute joy to work with. Demanding, but joy to, joy to work with. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a really, it's a, a heady kind of environment when you're in it. You, you feel like there's nothing you can't do. You keep pushing, you keep innovating, you keep finding new possibilities. Um, the, and, and the team comes with you in that, you know, so it is an environment where instead of being stuck by tradition or anchored too strongly by what you've done in the past or held back by, um, I think we, you know, we talked about having grenades in the Jeep when uh, we, we were talking with uh, rugby about what they were bringing with them from the last World Cup campaign where they had not felt very happy about how it had gone. Well, you know, you're carrying that baggage with you. And when you find yourself in that zone with the team, it's, it's, identifying where those grenades are, knowing when they can go off, looking at what the, the uh, impact of that is likely to be and trying to figure out a new road. Corinne, you are gonna, you've just done this beautifully without even knowing it. You just spoke about grenades in the Jeep. And <laughs> what I'm picking up from both of you is uh, apart from the, the wealth of knowledge you both had, is there's a huge sense of um, humbleness about you. You're not Both of you aren't prepared to talk about what you're really good at, but I'm gonna get it out of you. I'm gonna ask, each of you to speak about each other. So when you mentioned grenades then, that triggered a, a memory that I had when I listened to the podcast that uh, led me to contacting you to be on my podcast. Eddie Jones called you a bomb detonator. Now I'm wondering if there's a, a correlation between the grenades in the Jeep and you uh, detonating these bombs. And I want to pass the question over to Neil and get his story or, or take on how Corinne detonates these bombs, mate. What have you seen in the way she 
performs as a, a, a psychologist in this space? Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't want to break confidentiality, and I won't, Nick. Of course, of course. Um, you know, but, but I mean, I'm, I remember vividly one particular meeting I sat in with Corrine and the playing group, and we're really addressing, and probably the grenades that um, Eddie had spoken about was probably more about the previous World Cup. You know, which was a disaster for England. It was held in England, and um, you know, it was a really poor performance by England. And and you can imagine, you can imagine the uh, the criticism that the program, the players, and the coaches would have received from the media and in a whole range of different different areas. So it left some scars there. And there was no doubt there was some well, not scars, probably open wounds, really. Yeah, been scarred up. Um, and then I remember Eddie and the coaches and myself, we used to talk about it, but we really couldn't actually, um, we didn't have the skill set to really dive into it and, and, you know, find out what the real issues were. Corrine in one session, Corrine in one session, you know, with, to the best of my knowledge, I know Eddie had spoken to her, but with minimal information, had this capacity to get, um, uh, you know, these are, these are pretty mature athletes at 25, you know, or older, they're not sort of 18, 19 year old drafted players, some reasonably mature young men to, to, to open up by, by questioning, by great questioning, by empathy, um, silence, a lot of silence. Um, but eventually uh, from that one session, a whole range of issues were brought to the table that uh, if if that session hadn't happened, we wouldn't have even had uh, close to the success we would have had at the World Cup because it was important. And, you know, there was one player in particular that got quite emotional. But the strength, I know, because I was able to work with him, you know, for after that particular session for a long period of time in terms of his leadership and his own performance. Yep. The, strength, the strength that he got from that particular session, just that of to talk about it, get it off his chest, because it took some courage, Corrine, didn't it, to do that? It really did. Yeah. yeah. And, and so he was able to, to use the courage that he, that he showed in that session to apply it in the rest of his career in terms of his training and game day and other different types of conversations. And so it was, that's a real skill, Nick. Like if, uh, and it's, I mean, if I attempted to do it, even if I thought I knew what some of the issues were, I mean, I would have stuffed it up. It would have been a disaster. So it's, it's not something that I would, uh, you know, for your listeners, just everyone jumps in to do that. That's a, that's a skilled performance and you've got to have professional people around who've got the skills to do that. And that's why, that's why I think people like Corrine and the skills that they have uh, to be able to come in and, and work with the group and extract those conversations um, is, is the way high-performance sport will go. Did it enhance the ability for you to perform at your role better with that information, Neil? Um, yeah, but it, it probably more, it enhanced my ability to have conversations with the playing group, uh, more along the theme of courage. Yeah. Um, because I remember saying to a couple of players, no, 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 no. You have got the courage to do this. And it might be just pushing themselves harder in, in training, for example, mm -hmm. uh, because I've, I've witnessed you exhibiting courage in a conversation in that session with Corrine. And this, this courage you're gonna to require to push yourself harder is nowhere near as what's required for what I've just seen you do. So I, I, that's the way I tended to use it from that, um, from that session. 
Um, I saw enormous courage and a vulnerability of players um, and a building of a strong relationship uh, in that, in, just in that one session, just in that one session. So that's just a bit of a, a story, you know, from the skill set that Corinne's got. It's a brilliant story, mate. I really appreciate you sharing it. Corinne, yeah. let's, let's get this shoe on your foot, mate. <laughs> well, for me... Yeah, look, for me, Neil was a complete surprise. Um, you know, as I've said, I'm, I'm not an AFL person. I, I didn't have a strong sense of his history or who he was. And so learning about who Neil is and what Neil does was a day-by-day surprise for me. And it was fantastic. What I came away with is yeah. that Neil is all in. He is 100% in. And that is really rare. I think the other thing that I took away from it, we, we mentioned earlier that it's quite rare to find coaches who throughout their career continue being driven by an ethic of continual improvement. Now, you know, Neil finished his, his coaching career a while back. Uh, he could easily have parked that and simply walked on to do this work as a consultant. And yet what I really noticed about the way that he engaged with psychology and the work that I was doing is he reprocessed everything every day, not just what we did in the sessions, not just what we we're talking about, but how it, how it impacted on his reflections about when he was a coach, about what he might have done differently if he had been a coach uh, with psychology at his side, um, you know, what it meant for him in terms of how he would engage with Eddie. So Neil is one of those coaches, you know, that we talked about. They're a rare breed. It's people who are driven by this self-improvement ethic. So what I really noticed and what was critical in the work that I was doing, because I was flying in, doing some work with the team, and then flying back to Edinburgh, which is where I was living at the time. Um, I had to leave that work in somebody's capable hands. Now, there was no other psychologist there to, to do this work. And it's often the case that that's where the work falls down is that you come in, you do a bit of work, then you go away. And by the time you come back, they're back exactly where they were before. (laughs) And and instead, what I found in Neil was actually a psychologist in all but name, you know, is somebody who really, who who really got that, you know, this kind of human element of it, the, the relationship element, the connection element, the honesty element, that these were the things that were going to be the make or break. Of, of this particular group of men. And so what I noticed about him is he's not frightened of these critical conversations. You know, we spent quite a lot of time talking about how to have critical conversations, what the skills were, practicing them. And it's hard. Like a lot of people say they're going to do it and just don't do it. What I had in Neil and what Neil was able to do over and over again was to take the the essence of those critical conversations and keep them going like he is persistent he's remarkably persistent so i knew how much pushback he would be getting because you know i've been in these conversations for many many years so i knew how hard it was going to be and it was amazing i i didn't have high expectations sorry neil i didn't have high expectations at the beginning i thought i would fly back to edinburgh and speak to you eventually and go oh well you know glad we tried but that didn't work too well and instead what i found was this incredibly inquiring mind of okay I tried this this happened you know if that happened next time what could I do differently or better to make us go further in this critical conversation so he's like an absolute terrier he just picks it up and goes with it but in the most 
sophisticated and delicate of ways. He does it side by side instead of trying to push somebody along to force them or to hold a carrot in front of their, their face, which is really like just training a, you know, a rat to go around a wheel. Instead, he understood the importance of people having to take those steps on their own, but with the support of somebody side by side. And that is so rare in somebody in the elite sporting level that doesn't have a psychology background. So Neil for me was the great translator. You know, we talked about me translating for Richard and my translation role, I guess a bit with Eddie as well. Uh, but really Neil for me was that translator. When I wasn't there, he could pick up that work, those critical conversations. When it got uncomfortable, he didn't step away. He stayed right there. He didn't push, he didn't make it artificial. He just stayed there until people were ready, willing and able and kept orienting them to the goal. That was the other thing that I really learned about the way that he works, which is hugely um, admirable, is he keeps his eye on the prize at all times and he helps the players to keep their eye on the same prize. So when people start to drift away or get bored or... You know, as people do, training environments are really tough. They're a grind. You have to keep doing it day after day, week after week. And at various points, people kind of fall off the wagon or, you know, do stuff that really... Oh, sorry. You are... Sorry. You are sorry. boss chancellor. You are acting boss chancellor. <laughs> That's probably the West Bulldog Green. That's probably the West Bulldog Green. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie's, Eddie's telling you to shut up at the moment. He's trying yeah. to get... <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, I mean, I really appreciate those words, Corinne. See, at the end of the day, Nick... Yeah. Um, and this is where the, the real skill of it is so important to have in your environment because I remember doing coming back to Melbourne and doing a debrief with Corinne about the World Cup and sitting in her office probably where, at, at the university and sort of just talking about how it all went. And I said, oh, no, it was good. You know, we didn't sort of... There was minimal minimal issues, which on the surface there were. Okay. But our performance was so bad in the in the final of the World Cup that in reality, um, you know, there there was obviously something in terms of our preparation and going into the game that wasn't quite right because you don't get a performance like that if there's if there's too many things that are not quite right. And I remember I remember a conversation went along lines where in reality I was naive in that environment to think that everything was okay. Mm -hmm. Because I think Corinne's got a great uh, saying that things are never okay, never, it's, there's always a bit of conflict going on and you need to, you need to be aware of it and, and understand it. And, um, and elite players um, can be unbelievably good at camouflaging, you know, conflict. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's no doubt that I, as a, in this case, a coach, um, not a technical coach, but a coach, um, missed something that I should have picked. Well, maybe should have. I'm too hard on myself there because I think it's a real skill. I think it's a real, it's a really elite skill to be able to pick up what Kareem would be able to pick up. Um, so I don't want, I don't want to be over hard on myself there. But in the end, uh, and then Eddie and I have had this conversation. As coaches, we didn't. We've missed something. We've missed something as coaches, and our responsibility is either to make sure that people like Karina are there uh, in some way, or uh, we get better trained ourselves so we don't miss those things. Because in, in reality, we've 
we've let some of the, the players of England down by, by missing something as coaches. Is, there, is that a really tight line, Neil? Because if you reflect too hard and go too far the other way, it could be absolutely detrimental. And while you're talking about that, I can't help but think about your old football club. And I don't want to start talking about a camp and all that sort of stuff. But no. there is room to suggest that, you know, that football club made a grand final. And okay, they missed out on the ultimate prize on the day, but it's not reflective of the success they had during that season. And there's a, a school of thought that that review process was too far over yeah. the line. Do you feel no, that... No. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't fall... Can you, be, can you be too hard on yourself in these times? Oh, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of that type of debriefing of yourself that because, um, uh, you know, without even quoting, I don't know what figures, but... For for ninety five percent of the World Cup tournament, Nick, in my in my rugby mind, which is yeah. not, you know, it's we were the best nation there. But uh-huh. at the end of the day, on the day that really counted, well, first of all, we got to get there, which we did. Yep. So I'm I'm not suggesting everything with the program we had to undo and whatever. Like there was majority of the program of what we did was sensational. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end, uh, there was something not quite right that we should have picked up. Yep. On now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that is, um, but it's, it wasn't a technical thing. It's it'll be something you know that fits in uh, Kareen's domain. That and that's why I'm saying that uh, the next evolution of elite sport will be in this area that we're talking about. Kareen, have you reviewed the, the the game and the process and what happened at the end? And do you have a view on it? Yeah, and I guess it's always really difficult, isn't it? You know, when you're not there, TV cameras pick up a certain amount and you can hear from players and from coaching staff. And I think, you know, what I would say is that uh, I think that Neil is being a bit perhaps hard on himself there in the sense that I think we did a lot in a reasonably short amount of time. And when you do that, you know that it isn't going to be as consolidated as you might like it uh, at, at the point at which you have to compete for the world championships. And so, you know, on a good day, when everything's going well, it might be consolidated enough. But as the pressure continues to increase, invariably, um, you need a bit longer for, for that work to come to full fruition and to be as robust as it needs to be under those kinds of conditions in, in the field of fire. And you see that uh, time and time again. You, you know, you look at the Olympics, you'll very often get teams that have done very, very well all the way through and then fall at the, at the last hurdle that, you know, their, their preparation has been enough to get them just that far, but not that next step. So, you know, yeah, of course there's work to be done for sure. And I'm sure, you know, that already the team has probably already gone on to, you know, to do some more work in this regard. But uh, what, what they achieved over a short amount of time, I think should, they should be incredibly proud of. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think we're coming to the end, which is a bit disappointing because I could just sit here and listen to you guys talk for hours. But um, with respect to your busy schedule, Corinne, I know you've got a, a catch up shortly after this. So I'll make this the last question. Um, and you've both touched on your lack of knowledge and experience in the rugby world. So it brings me to think about building the right coaching team around coaches. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily getting the, the ex-player or the, you know, a coach from another team, etc. We have a lot of experience in that particular code. You guys are a testament to that. Uh, Neil, I'll get you to start with this. Um, if you had your time again, would you be looking well outside the square and building your coaching team and getting, I guess, the critical friends and translators that we've spoken about throughout the podcast in your corner? 
Oh, if I had my time again? Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. As, um, and I'll, I'll talk about from a, a head coaching point of view as a, of an AFL club, Nick. Um, uh, on reflection there, I mean, I, I, had a, I had a guy actually in the football club that, um, you know, used to sit in an office, um, two offices down the, down the corridor, who was, was perfect for me to fill this role. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, um, whether it be uh, lack of humility, whether it be lack of foresight, understanding of, um, uh, of myself to a certain extent, uh, I didn't use that person, a guy called Alan Stewart, who you probably haven't even heard of, but um, he's been involved. But he was a, you know, he was a, uh, an experienced guy, had been around a long time and had, had been involved in a lot of roles um, in, in AFL football. Uh, and just just could talk sense to you, and would have a, and would have a convert like would have a tough conversation with you. Uh, I would, I mean, I if I had my time again, that type of person would be the first person I would employ. Yep. Um, uh, and selfishly for myself as a as a head coach. And then it would be, you know, then it's more about to me. It's then it's about the the context of which you're coaching in. Um, you know, the environment you're coaching in. Uh, so whether it be a, an AFL environment or whether it's, uh, you know, you're coaching a, a country or whatever, whatever the situation is. It's all about con context in reality, about all that. But what I do know is that the quality of coaching is uh, coaches have the biggest influence on players. And so um, you better know what you're doing. And so you either, you know, have the skill set or get people around you who have got the skill set. That yeah. you have an obligation because because um, you're dealing with people's lives, livelihood, you know, and particularly at the professional end of the sport, um, it's 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 serious stuff. Uh, and it's, it can be fun, and it's got to be fun, and that's an element of your best high performance environments. Um, but okay. it's but it's serious stuff, Nick. So you better know what you're doing. And um, so there were times as a head coach, I didn't know what I was doing, and yeah. so it's it's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Neil, that's such a great quote. <laughs> <laughs> Corinne, do you want to finish with anything before we let you yeah. go? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think I, I take a slightly different approach in the sense that very often the environments that I come into, I don't have any say about who the people are that are at my disposal. You know, okay. that those people are already there. And that's also true outside of sport in the university sector. You know, you, you come in, in in a role and you've got a bunch of people there. And so for me, the question is not so much about how you choose in or select into that process. It's yeah. about you understanding what you have and who you have and where are the untapped potentials in each of those people that have not had an environment where they can be best expressed. And then from there, looking at, well, okay, once you've done that mapping, very much like the mapping we talked about before, you know, know your people, know their possibilities, and then look at the environment that you're in and say, well, if we push us off grid into a new place to achieve new things, to stretch ourselves, how can I best connect each of those people together so that there is a strong group to take that next leap off the cliff and into that? kind of black space that we need to, to define. So for me, that's the, that's the piece of work I love is saying, all right, these people maybe didn't choose to, to come together. They have different skill sets. They've been employed for different reasons. They don't necessarily like one another. They don't necessarily, they wouldn't necessarily choose each other as working companions, but here we are. So no matter who you have, when you are all committed to this one goal, what can we do to make this the very best group 
uh, that that can be. So for me, that's that's the joy. It's looking at that fabric. How do you weave a fabric given the unique constellation of people you have in the unique environment in which you find yourself with the unique task that you are setting yourselves for the future? And when you get that right, that's that's bliss. That's fantastic to watch. What a way to finish. You've done this stuff before, I think. <laughs> Neil, I want to thank you so much for your time, mate. It's been great listening to your, your insights and your, your storytelling and um, views on coaching and sport. It's been awesome, mate. No worries, Nick. Pleasure. And Corinne, likewise, it's been a joy. I uh, really enjoyed the process in getting you together. It hasn't been a quick one. It's been... <laughs> but no, and you laugh, but it's, been, it's a learning that I've gained out of it in regards to... You know, some of the other people I've had on my podcast, I've just flicked them a text and they're like, yeah, I'll jump on. But um, this, this brought out a bit more professionalism in me and I really appreciate it. And I thank you for your time. Well, we've all grown then. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks, Nick. And it was lovely to see you again, Neil. And uh, when Thanks. the lockdown's over, let's catch up. <laughs> I, look forward, I look forward to that. Put on your green. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. thanks, Nick. Go on your mate. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Be sure to share it on all your social platforms or even text an email. And please stay tuned next week for another episode of Hear the Voice. Thanks again.